Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Security Ledger podcast. I'm your host, Paul Roberts, editor at the Security Ledger. It's been another busy week in the security world. There were continued revelations about breaches of security at leading retail outlets. This week, Michael's Stores, an arts and crafts supplier, was added to the list of national chains whose point-of-sale terminals were compromised by hackers. We also had more revelations stemming from the theft of classified information by Edward Snowden, the former Booz Allen Hamilton contractor who is now living in Russia. With us today to discuss the week's news is Zach Lanier, a senior security researcher for the mobile authentication specialist Duo Security. Zach, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. Glad to be here, Paul. Thanks for having me. Zach, you've done a fair amount of work in the mobile security space. So why don't we start off talking with the latest revelations stemming from Edward Snowden's leak of classified information. This one saying that mobile phone apps are one avenue that uh, intelligence agencies have been using to surveil people of interest. Sure. Uh, and it's it's interesting because outside of the um, the implications for three-letter agencies or four-letter agencies in this case to um, collect and utilize this data. We've been talking about privacy um, implications for ad networks, for um, for just you know not using uh, SSL or TLS for for potentially sensitive communications um, for mobile applications. For the past, oh gosh, I mean since the in, since the mobile boom really started, right? So a long time, yeah. Right, <laughs> as long as I can remember at this point. Um, so it's not really it's not terribly surprising um, that they that these agencies would recognize the value of this data, especially when it's you know you people talk about metadata, right? I mean these are things that in a vacuum, for probably for most people aren't really are they're, they're not too concerned about you know the fact that their their gender as a, you know, as a single piece of data float across the internet in plain text. But it's when they start combining all of these properties about a person, even if they're, you know, pseudo anonymized, really help build a, a picture. It, and it seems like the data, it seems like, as you were saying, that the, there was not, um, that these were really just another avenue by which to vacuum up information that in itself is not particularly valuable, talk about marital status and uh, sexual orientation. I don't know how they would get that. But that in the aggregate, that was all data that would be valuable to them, I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that the uh, an analogy that I can give is when doing something like a, you know, a penetration test, or if you're, you're going in as an attacker, you think the fact that a particular service is exposed or that, um, you know, version numbers are leaked, some piece of data that or information that it, in a vacuum isn't really that important, but when you start collecting all these other properties about your target, be that a network or a person, you really, you can come up with a more sophisticated plan of attack, or um, in this case, I guess, just monitoring. The, the other thing to note, too, is that they these programs weren't just collecting data emanating from um, games, per se. It was also things like uh, queries against map services like Google the fact that someone is looking for uh, a particular particular locations throughout the day would would give a lot of insight into their behavior, right, or where they are if that information, um, if you know their geolocation is being transmitted in in plain text um, for any reason. Right. On the topic of mobile device security, I know that you are have been working on the BlackBerry Ten, the new operating system from. 
uh, once great mobile device maker BlackBerry, um, and this is a, a you know big new initiative from them as they try and kind of claw their way back into the mobile device space. Uh, can you give us a little highlight? You're going to be presenting some of this at CanSec West. I know you've done some some smaller some presentations on it at, at smaller cons and events, but give us an insight into what you've learned about BlackBerry 10. Sure. So my my um. My colleague and friend, uh, Ben Nell, and I, um, we initially did some of the, to give you a little bit of backstory, we initially did this very similar research on uh, the playbook, the BlackBerry playbook. It was, uh, you know, RIM at the time. Um, It was sort of their entrance into the tablet space. And with that came... um, Not a a very successful one, if I remember. Uh, sadly, no, because it was actually a pretty a pretty slick device, um, very responsive, uh, really poor app ecosystem. Uh, but you know that's something that everyone has recognized, I think. But it, with that with with that device came a new um, a new you know operating a new a new paradigm, if you will, of of platform slash operating system. Um, if you remember a few years back, uh, BlackBerry bought uh, Cunix. Um, which is a real-time operating system uh, used in things like the space shuttle, used in things like um, it used in the Audi uh, in-car entertainment system for a while, um, soon to be up- upended by Android. However, uh, but they they decided to to use that Unix as the foundation for their new operating system, Tablet OS, um, and then it would eventually become BBX, which would later be renamed BB10, which is what we know today. Um, so they, they made a lot of interesting changes um, because now they had to deal with a, a POSIX-like or a POSIX-compatible operating system, almost Unix-like in a way. Um, but since it's a, a microkernel architecture, it's you know, the, the kernel itself, the microkernel is the only true trusted part. It's a very small set of code and everything around that, everything from uh, I.O. to um, the user's actual interaction with, with the device, you know, HMI, uh, all the inputs, um, to network support, to file system support, all of the things that in other similar operating systems, think you know Linux, FreeBSD, etc., are actually in, in you know built into the kernel for the most part. You know, since the monolithic kernel, it allows you know for for reliability, allows for in, in, for certain operations quicker speed and response. But th- this was this was a new entrance for a new. A new path for them. They you know, had to change a lot of things. And they had to rework some of the security of, of Qnix because the traditional applications were very limited. It was, you know, maybe one or two, you know, a few users. There was security was kind of not really a thing. Reliability was a little more important than security as far as as far as I can tell. Right. Or you very limited access to what the actual um, the actual system running Qnix. Um, but then they also, you know, BlackBerry also had to shoehorn in all of this user experience stuff, uh, and they had to build their, uh, you know, connected to App World, and they had to add in all their enterprise stuff. So they they really had to rework Cunix um, into you know mold Cunix into this this magical new you know make it a mobile platform, um, and and through we we applied a lot of our tablet OS research to our BB10 research, um, and. You know, like while our first two presentations at Hushcon and, and Baythret um, were really more of a, a teaser of sorts because the research is um, there's still some parts of it that are in progress um, up until CanSec. 
what we discovered uh, was that they listened to some of the things people had to say about Tablet OS first off, um, which includes actually fixing some of the information leaks that we and others had found uh, in Tablet OS. Um, yes, uh, there, there's still a lot of uh, questions that we're looking to answer, um, you know, for our own curiosity as well for the, the talk, uh, just around... Um, just around the way that some of their Cunix internals and, and their quote-unquote fixes um, address certain problems. Um, so to give you an example, in the tablet OS, uh, or in the playbook, we found that due to a legacy bug in Cunix, um, this special, there's a special file system of sorts called PPS, and there's a property of PPS that allowed, if there was a file in that file system that you your user ID could not read, um, there was still a special file that effectively aggregated the contents of all the other files in that same directory called the .all file. So something they knew about, but because of this, um, we were able to extract a particular session token that was significant for connecting to um, a service that thereafter connected to your enterprise systems. What this would allow, uh, ostensibly would allow a malicious application to read this file, this .all file, extract this session token, connect to the the appropriate service called um, called Sapphire, and then thereafter extract your email or whatever was on your BlackBerry Enterprise server. Basically, uh, authenticated with the session token. Well, they fixed the root cause, which was this .all file. So we know that they are listening and they are fixing um, they are fixing these issues. Um, but you know, another thing about this platform is that it supports a variety of different runtimes. Um, so Adobe Air is one of them. Uh, WebWorks, which is HTML and JavaScript-based applications. Um, it supports native applications, those written in C and C++. And it also supports Android. So they actually have shoehorned the Dalvik runtime, the you know the Dalvik virtual machine, which is what Android is predominantly based on, uh, or for apps anyway. Um, they shoehorned that into theirs to be able to support Android applications. So you don't really have to rebuild your Android app. You simply convert it uh, using their conversion tool. Um, it changes a few things in the way that the apps are loaded. And voila, you can run your Angry Birds. Well, probably not Angry Birds. but You can run your other leaky application on, uh, on your BlackBerry 10 device. It sounds like they're trying to be something of a Switzerland of mobile devices supporting platforms uh, like some of the Adobe platforms that uh, Apple is not so keen on and also trying to tap into the very large Android app ecosystem. Absolutely. Um, and and there, there's another thing to note is that um, they also have what's called, and this sounds like a BlackBerry 10 advertisement, uh, why you should use BB10. Um, <laughs> they, they also have... Uh, Balance, which is the ability to, um, you know, the BYOD friendly kind of thing where you have uh, your BB10 device and you have all of your personal applications, data, etc. And then you have um, in an isolated container, uh, if you will, all of your enterprise stuff. So applications that run and have, uh, you know, create and store data in the enterprise container um, can't talk to the personal container and vice versa so that you can install shady leaky app in your um, in the personal space but then in the workspace uh, you know all of your PDFs with your accounting numbers and stuff or, or I guess probably be spreadsheets um, those are all those are all isolated off and stored in a container that you know when not in use is actually um, encrypted using they call it a perimeter um, so they do, they have 
they've really tried to capitalize on this on their one you know their once great glory of of being the go to uh, you know enterprise mobile device um, and really leveraged those skills and the, that ex- those expertise to put to really work this into a once again great enterprise uh, friendly device. Um, so there's a lot of you know a lot of that stuff is what we're we're sort of diving into at this point. Um, I, I don't I hate to I hate to give away too many spoilers, but um, I think it'll be a good talk. <laughs> So the other news of the week, obviously, continued revelations about point-of-sales uh, hacks and uh, data leaks related to them. Um, Michael's was the latest store to be added to the list that includes Target and Neiman Marcus. We know already that there are uh, a number of other large retailers that apparently were caught up in this. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts on where this is all leading. There have been a bunch of stories saying, you know, this is the death knell for MagStripe cards and that we're going to have to move now to a uh, chip and pin system and build more security into uh, the system. That doesn't necessarily address the point of sale issue, but uh, I'd mention your thoughts. So, I guess my first question would be, why is it just now that, that we're finally calling calling uh, MagStripe done? Um, it's a good question. It's a good question. It's a little cheeky, but uh, it, it's just, this is... This has happened before at at a very similar scale. If you look back over the last ten years, this I mean TJX, uh, you know um, Lowe's. I think Lowe's was a victim at one point. Is it Lowe's or Home Depot? One of the two. Um, I get I get the two mixed up. I don't really go to hardware stores. Uh, it was Lowe's, but yes, yeah, right. But you know th- these big retailers have been breached before. Oftentimes, as part of a larger campaign to breach multiple retailers at once. I mean, this isn't, especially if a lot of them are based on the same platform. For instance, say Verifone. Um, uh, actually, an old colleague of mine, uh, Kevin Finisterre, has been doing some research into um, the security of Verifone, independent research into the security of certain Verifone devices, uh, and has come up with some really interesting results just about the underlying platform, um, you know security features that were actually built into these these Linux-based devices um, in an effort to really understand how these attacks might have worked. And there are, there, there are stories coming out now that um, say, you know, for instance, the target breach uh, used a specific type of, you know, used targeted uh, malware that extracted um, CC numbers from, uh, or, you know, card data from memory, um, there's still speculation on what part, what thing was actually breached. Was it the the, the pause? Was it you know uh, a back office system that aggregated all this data before it was sent to a payment processor? There, so there's still the jury's still out on exactly how this all happened. But I would say that it, that there's still more. There's probably still more to come if history is any any indicator as to you know the what bad things come in twelves or something. Um, so. <laughs> Twelves. I, I, I thought it was just not. pairs. <laughs> oh, I hope, I hope not. Or is it good things come in threes? I think, but probably bad things come in sixes. Uh oh. <laughs> but I, you know, I would I would hope that that it's that's this is it. But um, given just the similarities in these, you know, what these all these uh, retailers run, um, that if it's a large coordinated operation, it's probably going to have hit more stores. 
Um, so uh, I guess if this is the. I, I guess one question would be, you know, there's no question that migrating to a chip and pin system will make it much more difficult to to clone cards based on information that you've stolen. It will provide more security at the at the point of trans at the point of sale and point of transaction, um, and and add another factor to you know securing the transaction. Do you think it will really put an end to this type of wholesale, uh, uh, you know, campaign of hacking and data exfiltration? Given that you know, um, the the back end systems are often the targets of these attacks. It, it very well, I would say it would put a large damper on it. Um, would it for something like this? Uh, you know, specifically lifting. Um, cardholder data, um, yes, it would, it would dramatically, and I'm probably going to, I'm probably putting my foot in my mouth, it would dramatically reduce this to, to almost nil, um, especially if you look at this kind of activity in countries that already do chip and pin. Um, there are people who are far more qualified to talk about the specifics of how banks implement these things. Um, I got, most of what I know about chip and pin things I got from reading like Ross Anderson stuff, so, um, right, like security right. engineering books, right. um, but th- it, it's definitely a, a, a watershed moment, I think, um, for, for, again, it's another watershed moment. I don't know why we didn't get it the first few times, but this, this, this would, attackers would naturally shift their focus elsewhere. Um, and if that would be, you know, social engineering or, um, or, simply backdooring, you know, the supply chain or something, who knows, but the, the actual move to ship and pin would at least quash this, this approach. I would, I would be willing to bet because this is just a, a similar, re, you know, basically a repeat of right. some of the same attacks we've seen in the past. So I, I wonder if there's a cautionary tale for industries who fight tooth and nail to prevent regulations that they perceive as onerous. Um, and obviously the credit card and, and the retail industry fought uh, chip and pin and have fought it successfully for decades, really, because it's been that long that it's been used in Europe. Um, and you do reach a point where you kind of get, you know, hoist on your own petard, right? I mean, you 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 stave off the, you know, common sense regulations and, and then you end up being, uh, having your, your image kind of tarnished by these incidents, just as the, you know, the auto industry did with the, you know, the gremlin and, and uh, you know, <laughs> uh, um, you know that, that type of stuff. And I, I wonder if the same thing is kind of playing out here in the, in the retail space and in the, in the payment card space. Yeah. If, if it reaches a, th- this is, Probably a so you, oh, let me back up. You take you take the TJX as an TJX as an example, or other similar, uh, you know, similar massive massive attacks. Um, like you know, they have financial implications for people and identity theft implications for people. They clearly consumers weren't upset enough, right? I mean, they continued to shop at the store. They their well, TJX's stock rose, um, but. If you, if people are irate enough about this and finally say, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore, if they do, that hopefully could be the pressure needed to finally get this to move. I, as much as I hope this is the, the end of, you know, traditional mag stripe, I'm really 
skeptical that people are actually going like I people I see people go to Target all the time. I think <laughs> there's a Target not far from where I live yeah. and people are just are still lining up in droves to go shop yeah, there. They got good stuff there. I mean, you know. Yeah, they have good stuff and they're probably <laughs> probably much more secure now than they were. Probably so, probably so. And is it too much to ask, you know, rank and file consumers who have a lot of other things that they're trying to kind of keep straight in their life to really become experts on transaction security and have opinions about things like whether there's a, a secure chip in their credit card or, or not? I mean, it's a lot to ask for a grassroots movement on something as arcane and nerdy as, you know, transaction security or cre- or, pay- or payment card security. You know, at some point, the powers that be, whether that's the industry or government or whomever, need to take care of this for people, you know, kind of in the public interest. Anyway, that's, that's my old rant. Uh, <laughs> I agree. I hope so. Hey, Zach Lanier, thank you so much for joining us on the Security Ledger podcast. It's been a pleasure, and I I hope we do it again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Paul. Great. Zach Lanier is a senior security researcher for Duo Security, a mobile authentication specialist. Zach, thanks for coming on and talking to us. Thanks again, Paul. Have a good day. Take care.